All righty. <clears throat> Trust. Fifth law of, of spiritual momentum. Trust. How important is trust? Newlywed couple here. How important is trust? It's of ultimate importance, right? So you get to look in. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. This message kind of ends where it should begin and begins where it should end. But go to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1. Now faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The insurance and conviction. If you just open your Webster's Dictionary, look up the definition for trust. It says assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of something or someone. One in which confidence is placed. Dependent on something, something future or contingent hope. Without trust, right? Without trust, the bond that we share, the, the work we have to do, the sacrifice we individually are called to give is not possible. In a marriage relationship, I remember Bill telling us, listen, it isn't 50-50, right? Otherwise, we're getting ripped off. What is it? It's 100-100, so that the two become one flesh and can do great things. What God has put together, let no man tear asunder, right? What God has joined. Well, in the same way in the church, we are knitted together as a family. We are, we are knitted together. We are called to trust one another. We're called to make sacrifices for one another. And folks, we need to figure this stuff out. Trust is of ultimate importance. How we decide to live our lives not only affects us, it affects the church, it affects the mission, it affects every aspect of our life. We need to be bought into this, trust in it, trust in each other, and be somebody that can trust, that others can trust. Trust is, is, is absolutely essential for the bond, and it's essential for the, for the things to come. Davis, was it you that did a message a few years ago on preference or conviction? Wasn't that you that preached that? It's been a while. I know that. And I thought that you had preached it. But there's... Oh, it was. That's right. Sorry. Driving off here. I remember somebody. I thought it was Davis. but Preference or conviction. And there's a big difference. Preference or conviction. And, and trying to convey that sometimes, right? It's a... Uh, it's, well, is it just a preference or conviction? People say, well, it's conviction, it's conviction. And, you know, I always, we talked about it, and I thought about doing a few things to try to figure that out, but I didn't want it to flop. But the reality is, is if we truly believe something, we ultimately put our money where our mouth is, right? right. I mean, you know, again, I'm going to reiterate it elsewhere, but when we truly believe something, right, we put our money where our mouth is. And again, you've got to understand that because if you trust in God, if you trust in one another, then you put your time, your energy, your capital where you think it's going to be best served. <clears throat> is it a conviction or is it a preference? <clears throat> now, you know, I heard Matt say something preaching wise that the rebellious and the, what was it, the contentious at times, sometimes like the best Christians, and it's a good thing because, right, as family, right, how many of us get along perfectly with our family? Raise your hand. 
but we're family, right? And at times there's going to be friction, right? We're not going to all agree. We're not going to agree on how to do things. But guess what? We have to trust one another to get it done. We've got to trust. And Bill and I had this conversation two weeks ago, right? Man, we've been through a lot together. We've seen but, but one thing. And he asked me, do you trust where I'm going? Do you trust what I'm trying to do? And the answer is equivocally, yes, yes, I do. And hopefully you feel the same about me. And we need to feel the same about each other. Um, it is it is huge for us to trust in those things, to make plans, to purpose in our hearts, to do what is best for the gospel of Christ. Somewhere in the scripture says we owe a great debt, right? That we owe to him. And so we have to have that bond of, of trust. Uh, go with me. Go with me if you go to Daniel chapter 3. And for some reason, it's been in my head for a number of years now. Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 16. We all know the story. Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all in front of the king. And they, they say, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And we know how that all goes down, right? What I want to focus on tonight is, and even if he does not, what if you're the does nots? There are more history Latin in the scriptures of does nots than did. Are you okay with being a does not? And do you trust him? Do we trust one another? Because brothers and sisters, what I see coming, we need to trust one another, right? I mean, if we understand how the forces of these, this, this darkness works, and again, had this conversation with a few people this weekend, I believe in one conspiracy, one conspiracy only. There's the devil. He is a seven-headed roaring dragon that's angry, and he wants to kill us all. That's the only conspiracy you need to believe in. And he wants to kill us all. And one thing that I see, right, in how that devil works and how that dragon works is he tries to turn everybody against everybody else. Neighbors become spies, right? Turn you in. What happened? What did we see happen in the last year and a half, two years, right? Prepping that, right? I'm, I'm turning you in. I'm turning you in. We have to have a lot of trust for one another, preaching the message. We have to have a lot of trust in keeping the faith here. First uh, John, so we have the concept of what happens if I am in the, and even if he does not category, right? Because if he does not, we face it and we have to trust that it's worth it. That, that, that like a sheep to the slaughter, as the scripture says, is fulfilling a worthy purpose. And we need to understand, and even if we find ourselves in the does not situation, we need to understand and say, you know what? We know that this is for a reason and this is for a purpose. That even though I ended up in the does not category, I know God can use it for his glory and honor to win somebody else. And if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? There's a lot of does nots in that book. And yet we know that their sacrifice made a difference on somebody else. There's a lot of stories I read about that, but I thought, ah, I don't want to take too much time. Go to uh, 1 John 
1 John chapter 4. We're going to come back to this as well, but I just want to read it because I do want to set the tone. First John chapter 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love, by this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should, also, should love his brother also. We need to have love that is backed by deeds. That's going to come in the form of sacrifice. Sacrifice of our own wants, our own desires, sometimes physical, sometimes mental, right? We have to have that mentality. We have to understand what that means. And we'll get there. Like I said, I'm kind of backing into this to my point here tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. What was the joy set before him? The, the cross? Us. But one other thing I want to get at here. He fulfilled the will of the Father first. And, and that sounds like a small point, right? But when we kind of get to where we're going to be, I want to talk about that. First and foremost, and love the Lord's Supper message. Never thought about it that way. And I knew where you were going, Dennis. As soon as you said, what was it? I'm like, separation. That's, that's, that's what he, and I've never looked at it that way. I've always felt it's the most human point in Jesus. I'm about to get beaten here badly, and I know how it's going to go. Never thinking it was about the separation. That's profound. Well, think about this. The joy set before him, yes. We were the beneficiaries, but the joy was that he was going to fulfill the Father's will of giving us an escape mechanism, of giving us hope, and of giving us grace. And it's important that we focus on the fulfillment of the Father's will. Others will benefit. We are beneficiaries of that. But understand, the joy set before him was that when he was reunited with the Father, he could say, I completed thy will. And we need to have that same focus. 
right? Yes, we are going to be able to help other people. Yes, we're going to be able to do great things through him who strengthens us. But the glory and the joy set before us is to do his will and to keep his commandments. There will be a lot of people benefited by it. And there'll be a lot of good done by it. But our joy is in being faithful to the Father, in keeping his commandments, in doing his will. And the joy set before Jesus was that when they were reunited, he could say, I fulfilled your will. And the great pain that he felt because he knew he was going to be separated. A small point, but I think an important one, when we start getting down to the nitty gritty. <clears throat> His, his joy was in setting us free according to the will of the Father. That came first. And when we talk about prioritizing things, we know how important it is. But we understand what the priority there and the first priority relationship Jesus had was to God, his Father. And our first priority then is in keeping his commandments and doing his will. And that's first priority. Yes, there's going to be a lot of blessings outside of that. But that's the first order of business. What I want to turn to now, folks, gets a little more serious. I like preaching day-to-day -day applicable stuff. I like being able to say, this is what we do. And especially after this camp and the great preachers that came before me and the great messages to send us off with something Monday that we can put to work and actually set a goal and say, I need to start doing this. And I hope to build on a little bit of what others have preached. And to maybe give you guys some encouragement on why we need to do this. Um, <clears throat> my second point of this is there is great danger in prosperity. <clears throat> uh, go back to Roman history and you look at it and how did, how did, uh, oh, who am I thinking of? Blank there. Didn't write it down. But when, when, um, ah, totally blank and sorry. When they threw more gladiators and more free bread, right? And the danger in prosperity, if uh, the devil wants to get after us, he can attack us directly, but sometimes what happens, that attack then creates resistance. So what do you do? Well, I'll lull them to sleep with a little bit of bread and some gladiator fights, right? I'll give them a little prosperity and see if they can handle that. <clears throat> When you, when you think of Solomon, right, and that's it's where we're ending, right, because in the end, it's where we're going. But when you think of Solomon, what do you guys think of? Tell me what comes to your mind. I want you to, Solomon, what are the things that come to your mind? Gold, wealth, what's that? Proverbs. Proverbs. And Proverbs are what? What is? Wisdom. So, okay. Wealth, wisdom. Women. <laughs> Those are, that's literally in my notes. Uh, da, 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 da. I do actually make titles every once in a while. Wisdom, women, and wealth. Because that's what we think about. And I've heard brothers say, I don't know if Solomon is in heaven. I think he is. Because I think he was there for our instruction. And even though some of the things, and we know, right, what happened. He was very wise. He was very wealthy. And he had a lady problem. And the women took his heart away, set up false idols. But yet he wrote all that down for us so that we could learn from that wisdom. And I think it's very appropriate for us 
right here today. How many of us here would consider yourself wealthy? Okay, a few of us get it. <clears throat> uh, go to, uh, let me see here, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We'll spend a little bit of time here tonight. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting at verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in shield where you are going. And I again saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift, battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread nor wise, uh, or nor neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time like a fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared by an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Hmm. Work hard with your hands. I love, that's actually one of my favorite verses. Um, for those that know, I've got a little fishing boat that I bought. You know what its name is? The Time and Chance. And I get comments on the river all the time for people to get it because it's kind of funny. It's a double entendre there. But it is one of my favorite verses. Like, listen, I don't have to be fast. I don't have to be smart. I just have to trust in God. That's what that verse tells me. And man, has he proved that, right? Over and over again. But notice what it says there. <clears throat> Moreover, man does not know the time, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. <clears throat> Let me read something to you. Even the median household 2021 income of 63,000K per year places an American family into the top 0.17% of the richest people in the world, according to the Global Rich List. That is far above the top 1% that certain politicians love to rail against in the U.S. So you can quibble about the numbers of 63K or whether or not you make that. But understand that median income, right? That median income of 63K, according to the world population, puts you in the top 0.17%. Think about that for a minute. You are wealthy beyond imagine. You are the rich people the Bible talks about. You, here in this room, every one of you, everybody hearing this message, you are the rich people the Bible talks about. Let me clarify that in case anybody misses this. You are the rich people the Bible is talking about. Now, mind you, I'll make this disclaimer a couple times. This message is more for me than for you. I hope you enjoy it. But you are the rich people the Bible talks about. How does that make you feel? Where are you putting your trust? See, these, and again, put your money where your mouth is. You will know a tree by its fruit. If the fruit be good, the tree be good. If the fruit be bad, the tree be bad. And when we start looking and understanding where we are and the reality that is, right? Oh, man. I was watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I am not rich. Yes, you are. 
I don't have a yacht. They're not moving any bridges for my boat lately. We're not talking about them. We're talking about you. And according to the global statistics, you are the richest of the rich. You are in the very premium top 1%. Now, yes, I'm sure if I looked at Bill Gates' checking account, there's a big difference in that top 1%. I'm certain of it. But brothers and sisters, that doesn't excuse you from doing the right thing with the money you got. People may say, boy, you rail on this all the time. Davis will remember a day when I toted that big TV up there at Boring and <laughs> guess what we're doing? What'd we do? Dave Ramsey, remember that? And we had that poor guy from that Church of Christ, the non-instrumental Church of Christ. Ah, exactly. <laughs> it's been something I've been railing on for a year. And I'm telling you folks, just FYI, when you're debt-free, it feels awesome. And Dave Ramsey, if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey radio show or you watch his stuff, what do the, the people do when they get out of debt? What's the scream? Freedom! Because that mortgage is gone. That debt is gone. I'm going to harp on it, and I'm going to continue to harp on it worse and worse. Get out of debt. There is no reason. Right? If we get what we, I mean, yes, Matt laid it out perfectly the other day. And I've said it too. Uh, what do we got? Housing, food, clothes, transportation, right? We all need those things and go on and sell everything. I was telling Matt, I said, Oregon's got a very rich history of utopian societies. Anybody know that? You look it up. How many of them are around still? Zero. Zero of them are around. Because if you've ever read Animal Farm, anybody know what Animal Farm is? Yeah, it's the Orwellian treaties on all animals are equal, just some are more equal than others. Because what happens is those that work, work, and those that don't want to, don't. But we're not like that. We are, as Matt said, how'd you phrase that the other day? Uh, capitalistic communism, what was that, or Christianic, Christianity, you had a phrase I think you threw in there. I know, but it was, I was like, yeah, that's funny. Because I'm putting this message, I've already had, got most of the message after what Bill and I talked about two weeks ago, and I'm like, man, that, that strikes exactly. But we have to, like in the book of Acts, and Matt brought it out, and that's why I don't need to spend a lot of time with it. For a hundred years, Christians operated under that principle. Did they have to trust each other? Did they? And you know what that makes you do when you start sharing your finances and selling things that are important to you and selling it for a good cause? You make sure you trust the one that you're giving it to. And that makes you talk to them. And sometimes it may get this kind of talking to, right? Brothers on brothers. Iron sharpens iron. But if I trust you, we'll get her done. But there is no reason, no reason and no excuse for us in this century. In Warren Buffett's got a great phrase, and I love it. For anybody born in America, you won the genetic lottery. Just like winning the lottery at a gas station, you have won the genetic lottery. What, are we, what does he mean by that? If you were born the seventh son in a family of 12... In Ethiopia, do you think you'd have the opportunity you have today? Realistically? No. So figure it out, brothers and sisters. This message is just for me as it is for you. Figure it out. But we've got to get serious. Many have already said, and I just read it for you, I do not want to be that bird caught in a net because I didn't see it coming. And if we're going to get serious about preaching the gospel... We've got some people that need funds. Steve, how many soldiers does it take behind a frontline army 
fighter to actually wage war. Ratio six to one, you put a thousand infantry into the field, take six thousand in the rear to keep them there. So for these preachers that we've had come and bring us these great messages, six to one. Six to one to support them when they are front line in the field waging the spiritual battle. Everybody understand that? What does it take to feed an army? What does it take to move an army? What does it take to arm an army? Time, capital, expenditure. You really believe or not? Do we really believe in the gospel message? Do we really believe in getting those that are in darkness brought to the light so that they might hear, well done, thou good and faithful slave, rather than depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Because there's going to be six of us behind every one of those folks that is out on the front lines. And those people just aren't standing around, hopefully, not a successful army, right? They're moving, they're working, they're hustling material, they're hustling equipment, they're hustling the things that are necessary to fight the fight. And as Christians, we need to start getting serious about thinking and framing our concept of our faith as the spiritual battle. If you have not, if you've been asleep for the last two years, wake up, right? If you do not understand what is happening and how quickly things are moving. Man, I was humming listening to Matt when he was preaching his dark message. And I'm like, well, we're going to get part two on Sunday night. Because things are happening so fast. Things are moving so quick. Change is happening extremely fast. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to get caught in the snare. If you're not paying attention and you're not understanding, then this army will stop dead in its tracks. We need to get serious, folks. I know before, man, you know, I've been a Christian 25 years and Oh, you know, I remember around 2000, it was getting a little weird. And I remember a few other things. And again, there's a reason I say I don't believe any, in any conspiracy except one. And it's the one that matters. Because I've seen a lot of people kind of, oh, it's coming, it's coming. But I'll promise you this. If you figure out your finances and get out of debt, even if America prospers till the day you die, you'll be thankful. It won't be a waste of time. It won't be like digging a pit in the backyard, throwing a Connex in there with a bunch of rifles that you're never going to use. You'll have financial freedom, and you'll thank me. But I'm telling you, if you get caught, if you get ensnared at the wrong time in what's coming, you're going to be thinking, man, if I just would have got my financial house in order so that I had the ability to help fund the army, so I had the ability to be free because if you get caught at the wrong time, they are going to take everything. And Brian, I, don't, I want to clarify something you said this morning. You're right on the money. 1929, the stock market falls. People were jumping out of windows. Why? Anybody? No hope. But why no hope? No. Not because they lost everything. They lost more than everything. Anybody know what leverage is? Leverage in financial advisors like, yep, 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 yep. They were over leveraged. What does that mean? 
They borrowed money to make stock bets. They just didn't lose their principal. They lost money they didn't have. Now, how does this apply to you? When the government puts a crunch on, or the net is cast, and you're over leveraged, where's your hope? Where's your trust? If you find yourself over leveraged when the net is, is when the snare is set and trapped, and or the snare is tripped, how much less hope will you have? Those men jumped out of windows because not only did they have their original principal on the line, they had their house. That's why you see multimillionaires lose everything. Because they're so greedy. They want more. They want more. They want more. The world is not enough mentality that they say, you know what? It, had, it, it worked for me once. I worked at a casino and it worked for me once. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the whole house on it again. And they leverage themselves out and they over leverage themselves. A guy got on Robinhood. I read this recently. A guy got on Robinhood, which is a little app, and I actually use it for investing. And they find out that for puts and calls, that they could leverage $14 million. $14 million he leveraged, and he didn't have a dime. And that's what people are doing, right? And if you have nothing, why not give it a shot, right? But these were people, men of high reputation, who were gambling with other people's money and beyond that. And my question to you is, or my statement to you is, there's a lesson to be learned there, that if you are over leveraged at the wrong time, it creates zero hope. So brothers and sisters, get out of debt. I'm telling you, it took us a long time. We started the journey in 2004. We didn't make it till what? Last year, year before? 21? Yeah, yeah, because we've done a few things, bought into the company. But I'm telling you, man, on this side of things, it feels glorious. There is no death grip on me, baby. I am free. And I'm telling you, I keep bringing it up. You guys know that I made the commitment to come down here and preach Dave Ramsey. I will make the commitment again because I think, I don't agree with everything he says, but I just think it's a tool, and I think you need to focus on getting out of debt. And there's good reason. <clears throat> um, go to Matthew chapter 13. The problem is all the shiny things, right? Shiny things are distracting. And I, I'll be the first to admit it. I've got problems with distractions. Uh, like Brian, I will say that I'm still a work in progress, right? I think it's a good way to put it. This message is for me more than it's for you. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown with his heart, in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom the seed was sowed in the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with great joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown, the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit, and bring forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some, uh, excuse me, some sixty, and some thirty. Notice the second to the last, the almost made it category is what? 
deceitfulness of wealth tripping. Anybody think that's real? Man, I'm telling you what, it's a problem in the church. It's a problem in my own house. I have a problem with it. I'm not afraid to admit it. Brothers and sisters, we need to get serious about this. I do not want to fall. I don't, I don't want to be the, the second place loser. I don't want to be the one that almost made it. I don't want to be the also ran. I don't want something shiny to trip me up from the ultimate goal. Do I trust in God or do I trust in wealth? Man, I'm telling you what, Matt laid it out great, but I'm going to give you a few more reasons here in a bit. Uh, Acts chapter 5. I'm just going to go go there real quick. Story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? I'll be the first one to admit, man, I might have made that mistake. I might. Matt and Jennifer, right? Acts chapter 5, Matt and Jennifer. (laughs) What happened? I mean, literally, what's what's the deal there? It's yours to do what you want. Just be honest. Hey, man, I'd love to help you, but really needed a boat. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, right? Just be honest. There's no penalty for honesty. If they would have said, we just really wanted a trip to Greece. Here, here's 75% of what we bought or what we sold. Right? They would have been fine. They would have been fine. But they lied. And what, what, what does the lie do? It breaks the trust. It breaks the trust because that trust is so vital. And so, guess what? They got the also ran prize. <clears throat> Sapphira comes in. Hey, what do you think? Oh, yeah, that's it. <clears throat> also ran. Deceitfulness of wealth. Are we going to find ourselves in that position, brother and sister? That's what I ask. The deceitfulness of wealth will get us just about the time we think we're going to cross the line. How serious are we to battle? Do we not understand for every frontline fighter out there, it takes six of us in support? And, and I hate that sometimes everything comes back down to money, but right, money, the dollar, which that's own problem we address later, <laughs> the dollar is how we, we value time. It's the only way to put it. I trade my time, my risk for the dollar. And the dollar is very handy because I can convert it really quickly to supply line, right? And you can say everything you want, but if you say, man, I love this, I love this, I love this, and yet you're spending over here, over here, over here, over here, guess what? Brothers and sisters, I have not been perfect in that. I still see a lot of need. I still see that, boy, I got a lot of work to go. And you know what? I realize I am serious about this fight. So what are we going to do? Get out of debt and be committed to trusting in the Lord. Because you know what I found out? That when the Lord said, man, give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken, pouring over, avalanche, I'm here to tell you he wasn't lying. That is an honest-to-God promise of God that when you give your needs, and I would even say wants and desires, are taken care of. I would also kind of venture to guess that pretty soon your desires become and rapidly grow to be, man, it is better to give than to receive. Somewhere in the scriptures say, you know, let him who steals, steal no longer, but what? Work with his hands that he might provide himself and have something to what? Give. 
share with others. It's really important that we start figuring this stuff out. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23. <laughs> My wife and I have had a few of these discussions lately. Where you place your hope is really, 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 really important. Right? Because God giveth and God taketh away. And maybe not God, but maybe just man decides to dupe you out of everything you have. Proverbs 23. As no one this, 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. Like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. And man, I'm telling you what, if you don't think the mechanisms by which everything you have can be taken from you in a flash, you, sleeper, need to arise and wake from the dead. Every tool, every snare that is out there that is, needs to be set has been set for them to take everything. Right? What's that? Uh, Joshua likes the, the Avengers. What's the, the glove snappy guy? Right? You guys, some of you kids, I'm trying to be hip here. <laughs> 50 and hip. Whatever that dude's name that snaps the gauntlet and everything disappears. Yeah. Thanos, thank you. That'll be your wealth and everything you hold dear. Right? Because if you don't understand that all the triggers to do that are already here, right? Every law that has been passed, everything that is there, let's just, let's dive into it. <clears throat> How many got a stimmy? Stimmy. I'm being hip again. Stimulus check from the government. As the kids call, stimmy checks. How many got a stimmy? Anybody mind telling me how much they were? 14, 16, 1800 bucks, something like that. That's what I heard too. You know how much that check's gonna cost you in the future? $18,000. How many of you guys are gonna take that loan tomorrow? Hey, give me a thousand bucks, would you? Great, you'll pay me 10,000 next week. Anybody gonna take that loan? Well, I have bad news for you. You already did, right? I tried to tell my daughter that. I said, well, that stimmy check, I hope you enjoy it because it's going to cost you $18,000 over your lifetime. What? I said, yeah, look at it. What people got, what they spent, comes to $18,000 per taxpayer. Some of us taxpayers didn't even get the stimmy, but I get the bill, right? And it's, it's just crazy. So, right, the math is never in your favor. A free gift is never free. Matter of fact, if something is free, this is a great tech line nowadays, you are the product. Think about that. As much as I hate to say it, because I hate the nerds that try to take Christianity and mold it into, hey, have you seen the Matrix? It's kind of Matrix-like. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that's the way it is. You didn't sign up for it, but you got it. Uh, Matt brought up inflation a little bit. You know what inflation is? Inflation is the tax you didn't vote for. Now, Matt's right. The rest of the world is getting jobbed. But if you understand how our economy works, oil, ever since World War II, is denominated in what? American dollars. And that's why the American dollar also became the reserve currency of the world. Now, is there anything going on in the world today, hmm, let me think, where oil might be an issue? Was there anything that's gone on maybe since 2000 to 2019 or 20, whatever that abrupt pullout was, that had anything to do with oil? 
Yeah. You think it's important? Matt's right. When the American dollar, I don't know if it's going to be Chinese. I don't know what it is yet. Chinese got their own problems. Literally, dig into it. They've really got their own problems. But whatever takes over, maybe it's going to be the digital dollar. That's, that's a whole other thing. Matt was not lying about the digital dollar. It's coming, right? Cryptocurrency, we were kind of talking about that today. It's all coming, folks. But the digital dollar, when it comes, our dollar, if it ever stops being the reserve capital, we will long for these days. So my question is, what are you doing today to capitalize on the money you have for the job that we have to get the gospel to the dying? Because tomorrow is not promised. And if you think someday I'll get around to it, I've had, brother, I, sister, I've been there. I'll do it tomorrow. And I remember we walked into a meeting, and I think Jeff, it might have been you, I can't remember, but Somebody was preaching on giving and tithing, and I realized I hadn't done, it hit me like a freight train right there in family camp, holy uncool. And I just started bawling, and Jeff, I think you were there with me, and I was like, man, I have not done what I need to do. And we started tithing right there, bang. And it wasn't too long after we moved to Portland, and I remember I kept our support here for a couple of months, I think it was, Miss. I said, hey, you know, talk to Jerry, and we kind of made that jump and all that, but I just remember being... I had a lot of freight trains. I get punched in the face. It just hit me that I have not put my money where my mouth is. I do care for Bill, and I care for Pleasant Hill, and I cared for all this. And I realized I can come out here and sing, and everybody's like, oh, they're so encouraging. But if I wasn't putting my money where my mouth is, I was being less than genuine than even insincere. And I remember just it punched me in the gut, that feeling like, holy cow, I, I need to do something about this. And we made that commitment. I'm like, I don't even know how we're going to do this, right? I was an apprentice plumber. I think I was making 14 or 16 bucks an hour. Jen's pregnant with number two, living in that little house on South 71st. And you know what? We started doing it. And uh, kind of like Israel in the desert, things didn't wear out. Murphy wasn't around so much. Second laws of thermodynamics didn't seem to eat us up, right? I mean, it's just, it's amazing. God is faithful in those things. So I'm encouraging you, brothers and sisters, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, we talk about inflation, the hidden tax. It's a tax you didn't vote for. And right now, the reason the Fed's going crazy is because it's so bad, it's noticeable. And it's so bad that the CB lie, oh, excuse me, CBI is like people seven and a half percent dude i'm paying 200 percent more for my house food costs me 50 percent more everybody knows that the cbi you know what that is consumer cpi cb lie it's a consumer price index and that's supposed to be how much inflation has gone up this year and usually they like to keep it around under three percent a year if you're doing financial stuff matt it's right three percent a year is what you try to figure out because that's just the water is just hot enough you're not going to jump out of the pan but at seven and a half, really 25%, right? I mean, when you look in certain areas, certain cities have over 25% inflation right now. All of a sudden, that hidden tax becomes what? Not so hidden. It's obvious. And you're paying it, right? The hidden tax. Now, all these things could be excuses of why I'm not doing what I should be doing. And I'm telling you, it's all the reason you need to do more. Because the only one, the only one that can protect you from these absolutely evil ways is God. The only one I know that can multiply loaves and fishes and keep your clothes from wearing out is God. And we need to understand that.
Uh, Romans chapter 13. Yep. Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Render all to whom what is due them, tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone. Oh, you're taking that out of context. No, I'm not. He said pay. Pay who you owe. And then owe nobody. Render to him who you need to render to. Owe nothing to anyone except what? To love one another. <clears throat> For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So getting back down, um, I just want to finish with this. Matt was right on this subject. Money is a tool and you need to master it. Money is just a tool. Matt was right on the money. You need to master it. Go to Ecclesiastes. Now we'll finish up where we should have started and kind of get that done. Why am I going to Ecclesiastes? There's a conversation Bill and I had. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I'll fly through this. This is pretty easy. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So why Solomon? Why Ecclesiastes? Because he tried to enjoy everything, folks. We're going to go through it here real quick. He was the richest man in the world, right? He was uh, an amorous man. Let's just put it that way. He had every fleshly desire you could want, and I want you to listen to what he has to say in the end of all things. But let's go through Ecclesiastes real quick here. Let's just run through it. Chapter 1, 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that I have done under heaven, and it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, it is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked and cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who are over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly and realize that this also is striving after the wind because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Sometimes it's just good to be ignorant. <laughs> right? I mean, that's... So what does he say? Futility of wisdom. Trying to be a... Stoic philosopher, I don't know what you name it. You want to go after Greek wisdom and knowledge, it's futility, it just brings pain, right? So, the first thing he says, and we said, What wealth, women, wisdom that's what he was known for. And the first thing he says is, Man, he made me smarter than ever, and it was what a curse. So, you don't have the highest IQ, be accurate, <laughs> futility of wisdom, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, shall enjoy yourself, and behold, it too is futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see 
what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven in the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, and I made gardens and parks for myself and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. And I made ponds of water for myself in which to irrigate the forest of growing trees. And I brought male, I bought male and female slaves and had homeborn slaves and possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I also collected for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and providences. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. And I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, and all my eyes desired. I did not refuse them. I did not withhold what was pleased because all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which would I exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Why was this written for us? So that we, church, the richest people in the world could say, you know what? It's a waste of time to worry about building my big house with a view so all the little people drive by and look up on the hill, they can see my big, beautiful house. It's a waste. And if you're a Christian, you'll listen to Solomon and say, you know what? You're right. But let's go further. Chapter 2, verse 18. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, which I had labored under the sun, for which I must leave to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether it would be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Matt and I talked about this a little bit today, and I want to leave it here. The concept that you're going to leave some kind of living legacy and control it after your death is utter foolishness. I'm telling you, I, I know some pretty... We work for some pretty wealthy clients. And man, they're all worried about their legacy. They're all worried about the buildings and the structures. And I left this kind of trust with all these specific things and exactly how my money's going to go. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to die and it's not going to go the way they want because their lawyers are going to be like, man, this is too hard. We're going to pull some kind of legal stunt here and say we're just giving it all to our favorite charity, us. Right? Your legacy as a Christian is to do righteousness, to love your brother and sister, to love even those whose garments are polluted by the flesh so that we can snatch them out of darkness and into his life, into his life. Our legacy is our sacrifice on the behalf of others to bring them to salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is the only legacy that we have his glory, his honor, and his legacy. I get to go to his heaven. I get his salvation. I've got no problems with my legacy being him. When I die, I don't care what happens. I mean, I will. I'll set things up, but you know what? Well, there's the Matt Piper, the Memorial Wing of Emanuel Hospital. Not going to happen. <laughs> There isn't even going to be a park bench saying, this park bench was donated. Actually, I want a chair to say, this chair was donated by my Nope, not even that. I would like somebody sitting in that chair to be there because maybe some part or portion I have, but I could care less about the physical things. Right? Our legacy is in Jesus. And you folks need to get that clear right now. I need to get that clear right now. 
The only thing that matters of our legacy is that he or she was a faithful believer who trusted in Jesus. That's the important thing to remember there. And even Solomon says that. Anything else is futility and striving after the wind. Um, chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He has set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. That isn't just one person. That's every person. We have all had eternity set in our heart. Why do we have an opportunity with those who are lost? Because eternity's in their heart. They want to know. They may fight it. They may come up with their own beliefs, but it's in there. We have an opportunity. Uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Just so you know, I'm just kind of reinforcing some things before we wrap up here. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Matt already said I don't need to spend too much time. There's never enough. They always want more. If your heart is set on money, it is never enough. It will never satisfy. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. This is a good one. Dead flies make a perfume whose oil stink. Huh? Anybody know what that means? Five minutes of foolishness will waste a lifetime of effort. That's what that means. One fly in the ointment ruins all that work. Five minutes, that, that scares me to death. Anybody else? Five minutes of foolishness wastes a lifetime of work. That's what that means. <clears throat> Chapter 11, verse uh, 11, verse 1 and 2. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find after many days, you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Spread it out a little bit. We've seen that in the New Testament, right? Remember the wise slave? Don't worry about that debt. Don't worry about that debt. Don't worry about that debt. Why do you do that? Spread it out a little bit so that when things got bad, hey, we owe you one, brother. Well, don't we do the same for each other? Listen. Call me if you got an emergency, because I may call you. Right? Easy enough? All right. And lastly, go to chapter 12, verse 13. What are the wisest, richest, most relationship-challenged guy in the world have to tell us who are the richest people on earth today? You guys catch that? You are the richest people on the earth today. You are the richest people on the earth today. And depending on how things go, maybe ever. He tells us <clears throat> in the conclusion, when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. We fear him because we respect him. The beginning of wisdom, right, is fear. I fear him because I know he's the one who's able to do the worst things to me. And you know what that worst thing is? Depart from me. Right? Your message today, the worst thing 
that can ever happen to you, Christian, is to hear, depart from me. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of casualties. We think that what's going on over in Russia and Ukraine is bad. There are a lot of casualties in this battle. And if we don't wake up and see all the people dying and all the loved ones and all those that we don't know yet that we have the power to save and do nothing, you are the watchman on the wall that did not blow the horn. If we don't do the work and supply the frontline troops, we will lose this battle. Brothers and sisters, I'm not preaching to you tonight. I'm preaching to me. You just get to hear the notes. We need to get serious about this because I'm telling you things are coming. And I don't know. Like I said, it may be two years. It may be 20 years. It may be 100 years. But I'll guarantee you this. You get your financial house in order. You get yourself out of debt. Become unleveraged. And you start giving. And you will know peace and joy and an eternity of salvation and understanding. And if you want to be a light, who wants? Who here wants to be a light? Put your money where your mouth is. Brothers and sisters, we got a lot of work to do. And we got to quit playing games and we got to get serious about what needs to be done. I love you all dearly. And I'll be glad to help anybody in any way I can. But starting with my house first, we need to get this thing figured out. Thank you.